Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning, church. I pray everyone is doing well. This morning, we're continuing with Philippians. Brian started us off last week in Philippians 1, and his passage ended off with something that is going to set the tone for our passage today. And the passage ended off with this, Philippians 1, verse 27 to 30. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. He ended with this, with this call to live in a, man, in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And he's talking to believers who are being persecuted. So they're experiencing the exact same thing that he has experienced previously and is continuing to experience. See, at the time that Paul is writing this, he is in prison. He's um, under house arrest. But he's saying to the believers, endure, endure and be, be courageous. And the fact that you're enduring on is a sign that you will be saved. That God has you. So already here he's saying, he's saying a number of things that are, uh, he's saying actually one thing that is essential to our passage today. He says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That brings us to our passage today. In our passage today, Paul continues this and he encourages and calls the church to live in unity to live united in the purpose that God has given us. And it continues in, in chapter 2. This is our, our passage for today. And we're going to, going to be going through uh, chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 11. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, he's, he's talking to a people who are, are threatened with many dangers, See, they're, they're threatened with violence. They're threatened with, with jail time. They're threatened with death. They have the very real possibility of losing people, losing other believers, which would bring tremendous grief. So as he starts his chapter off, he encourages them and reminds them of what they have in Christ. He does this while also using it as an incentive to the thing that he's going to call them to do. 
he, start, he starts off by saying, if any of you have any encouragement in being united with Christ. And all these believers are united by one thing, by Jesus. They are one with Christ, but they're also one with one another. And this brings encouragement in the trouble that they're in. I can imagine week after week, them going out, being persecuted, and coming back together with their brothers and sisters and sharing and encouraging one another. But also the encouragement that they would have received in their time that they pray and they sit in, in, in their time with Christ. They're given, they're given um, support in this trouble, trouble and they're given hope by Jesus. It also says, if you receive any comfort from the Spirit. And this is, comfort is a beautiful thing. It's an easing of pain and of grief and an easing of stress. Jesus says that uh, he sends us a Spirit who comforts us in every hardship. But he also says we come to him and we bring him our burdens. And so we have this amazing comfort from, from the Spirit, and we're not alone. It continues to say, if you uh, feel any, any friendship with the Spirit, we're never alone. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, he, he fulfilled what his name was, God with us, Emmanuel. But then when he left and he, and, he, and he gave us the Spirit and he sent the Spirit, the Spirit does the same thing. God is with us all of the time. I will never leave you or forsake you. And this is true. And it says, if we have any gentleness, any tenderness or compassion. This is just a reminder of how God deals with us. He deals with us in gentleness. He deals with us in, in kindness and compassion, understanding where we are at. And he says, if you have any of these, then make my joy complete. Right? Now, if he's saying make my joy complete, he must have been talking about joy somewhere else. He must have been the beginning of joy somewhere else. And we find this in, in chapter 1, where he says this, in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he says this, In all my prayers of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Paul had been joyful because when he came to this church, the church in Philippi, they accepted Christ, but also they went a step further. They supported his mission financially, right? They said, we love Jesus. We are 100% on board with this mission. We will pray for you, but we will also help you with money. We'll help you, whether it be transport or, or, or food or lodging, we will help you financially. And Paul is, is, he said, he's filled with joy because of this. And later in the chapter, he says again in chapter, in chapter 4, um, he says, once again, he commends them for their gen generosity. But he's saying something else here. He's calling them to a little bit more. He says, it's great that you accept it, and it's great that you support me. But I want you to call you to be a part of this. He says, I want you to live it out. And he says this, if this is how you make my joy complete, if you are like-minded, if you have the same love, and if you are one in spirit and mind. In other words, he says, if you are united, the way God has called us to, 
to be united, to be one. You make my joy complete. He says we need to have the same love for God. The same love for God and the same love for one another. The same love for this world. We need to be united in, in God's purpose, which is to draw men to himself. See, God is not calling us to be identical, right? We're all different, different personalities. We're all individuals, and that's the way God created us. But as believers, we're united in one purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it says, You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And that chapter, he he emphasizes this and he, and he unpacks this a little bit more. He says, one, one is hand, one is an eye. And he emphasizes the fact that each one of these has a different role. One shouldn't desire to be the other. But each one has a different role. But each of, each of them are doing, each, each role is heading towards one goal, is working towards one goal. It's like something like running, right? I have not run in a while. I don't like running. But um, I think with the way our world is looking right now, that's something I'm gonna have to be, I'm gonna have to force myself to do. But we, when we run, we have all these different parts of the body uniting in one purpose, right? Now, if you haven't run for a long, a long time and you and you run and you and you really put some effort into it, the next day you feel everything, right? When I run. On the rare occasions that I do, I feel I feel it in my chest. Uh, I feel it in my arms. I feel it uh, in my abs. I feel it in my legs. I feel everything, right? And that's 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 the thing. Even when you watch sprinters and they're on that starting block, and when they launch, you just see them push, and it's almost like their arms are doing as much work as their legs. But it's a whole body thing. And this is this is who we are in Christ, right? Every one of us doing something different, but we're all uniting in one purpose. This, pur- this purpose, as Paul has already stated in the beginning, is to advance the gospel, to bring the gospel to people. See, and he, and he talks about some people in the first chapter who are preaching Christ but not with this unity in mind. They're preaching Christ for themselves. It says this in chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. It says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Paul is happy that people are just hearing the gospel. He is excited that that's happening. But but he says in this next chapter, and he urges the church to be unified, because he knows that it will be so powerful, such a powerful thing, if believers are united and they not only <clears throat> preach the gospel, but also live it out in the way that they love and in the way that they work together. Not letting pride get a hold of them, but work together for God's purposes. He continues and he says, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest by each of you to the interest of others. And Paul says this because we can't be like-minded if we're focused on ourselves. There's no way. We can't have the same love, the love that we're supposed to have for God, for each other as believers, and for the world, if we're obsessed with loving ourselves. We cannot be about God's purposes if all we want to do is our own thing. It's impossible. We can't be the body of Christ if all of us have our own mission. We have one mission. Like the famous saying, there is no I in team, right? I look at um, social media because that's where we're at right now. We're on our devices all the time. So a lot of that time is spent on social media. You're on social media right now. But as I've been, as I've been on social media, I've been seeing a lot of amazing things. People have been connecting in so many different ways. It's been amazing to see all the challenges and, and, and um, all, the, all the different initiatives to keep people connected, to encourage people in this time. But we also see, as we normally see on social media, people being very self-centered and wanting a lot of attention. Social media is the place where you hear, look at me, look at me, more than anywhere else, where people will post all sorts of things just to get attention. And naturally, we want attention, right? And it's a temptation of ours to want all of the attention, all eyes on us, all eyes on me. We even go as far as doing good things, things that God wants us to do, for our own purposes, right? To, to, to lift ourselves up for our own gain. And, and, and Jesus, knowing this in, in Matthew, as he was speaking to, to, to people about giving and praying, said this. He says in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees you, sorry, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, Jesus knows that we have a natural and healthy need to be valued and loved. But he also knows that that can very easily turn into an idol. We can easily start to live for the acceptance of other people. And that can turn into a desire to be worshipped and praised more than everyone else is. Right? I want everyone to see that I am the man. I am number one. And that, de that, that desire can then turn into a means to get ahead. Right right now, um, just the way our world is and, and, and with the power people have, there is nothing more powerful right now than being famous, even being infamous. See, Jesus knew that this, this, this is a deep temptation of ours. And 
even looked around at the people, the religious leaders at the time, would do this all the time. They would do two things to lift themselves up. They would highlight the sins of others to kind of go like, yeah, look, look at what they're doing, right? And obviously, by making everyone else look sinful, they look great, they look holy. And they would perform their good deeds in front of everybody so everyone could see them. They were lifting themselves up. This kind of pride, as Paul mentioned in, in chapter 1, verse 16, <clears throat> is one from rivalry. This, this kind of, not this kind of pride, these, these kinds of good deeds that they're doing are from rivalry, from wanting to be better than the next person. It's competitive. And this kind of pride calls, causes division in our church. Nothing breaks a team up faster than one player or a number of players being proud and being selfish and being all about themselves. In 2013, Germany won the World Cup and it seemed they did it effortlessly. One thing that, that I remember as we're watching those games is how Germany played as a team, right? They were passing so much more than any of the other teams and you'd watch them build this play bit by bit. But all these plays didn't focus on one player. It was the whole team playing together. And they destroyed everybody. Because they worked as a team. Because no one person was saying, hey, it's the World Cup. I need to make sure that I show out so everyone sees me. So that when I go back to the leagues, I get offered more money or some other teams want me. But everyone was focused on the goal. We need to win the World Cup. And they did it with ease because they played as a team. See, Jesus knows that humility and love go hand in hand. When, when, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two. Everything hangs on these truths. We can't love God if we're about doing things for ourselves. We cannot love others if we're obsessed with loving ourselves and living for ourselves. We can't live a life that powerfully exalts God if we're about exalting ourselves. So we have a dilemma here because Naturally, we're selfish, and naturally, we want to be the center of attention, but we're called to live selflessly. So how do we do this? How do we live in this humility? How do we put others above ourselves? How do we live out this command, commandment practically? And we can find this in Christ's example. It continues in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. It points us to Jesus. And it says, who being in, the, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, it starts off by saying he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. 
that Jesus could have done this, right? He is God. But he looked to God the Father. He looked to him and saw the glory of his Father and saw, and saw him, his perfection. He said, this is someone worthy of being followed. This is someone worthy of being praised. This is someone worthy of me surrendering my will to. And that's where it starts. It starts with this. Are we seeing God for who he really is? Because as we look in scripture, every time someone has had an encounter with God, they surrender. From Moses at the burning bush, God calling him to go to the, to, 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 back to Egypt and call his nation out of Egypt. To Paul, who on the road to D Damascus, a prideful, a proud, um, a proud uh, religious leader, a proud Israelite who thought he was defending God. He is on his way, on his mission, and he sees God. And Jesus says, I am Christ whom you are persecuting. I am the Lord. And in that moment, Paul surrenders. It's no longer about his will. See, Jesus saw God and said, this is the one worthy of being exalted. Are we seeing God? Or do we see God in a, in a way that doesn't cause us to worship? Do, do we see him as just being something ordinary, someone ordinary? Maybe that's where we need to start. Jesus said, in response to this, in response to seeing who God, who God is, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. When he realized who, Jesus realized this from the get-go, but as he looked to God and he saw his glory, he lived out this example so that we would see it, that God is worthy of being praised. And so he humbled himself and took on the form of a human being and lived as a servant. See, Jesus served people. That's what he did. He did that because his his food was to do the will of his father. The will of his father was to be humble. The will of his father was to be a servant. And that's God's will for you and me. That's what Paul is saying here. Consider others better than yourself. Serve them. And Jesus did this because he looked to God and he said, My father is worth me doing this for. He is worthy of my service. And I will humble myself gladly because of that. And it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, you look at a word like humility, and it's a beautiful word. It's one of those words that would be fantastic underneath a selfie on Instagram. Humility. It's a pretty word, but the reality is not so pretty. See, Jesus humbled himself to death and death on a cross. Death where you're displayed as a criminal. You're displayed as scum, right? You being on the cross means you are the worst of, you are the worst of the worst. And they are putting you on display for everyone to see. Look at what he did. He's shameful and he deserves this. 
It's humiliating. Jesus not only suffered pain, but extreme humiliation. Even before he was on the cross, he was being mocked and beaten. And, and people calling, calling him, him names and calling him out saying, Hey, if you're the son of God, stop this from happening. Even as they were on the cross, one of the people who was on the cross with him said, like, can't you take, can't you step down from this cross and save us if you're really God? Humility will cause us humiliation. That's a reality. In humility, you will suffer. You'll suffer shame. You will look weak in front of people. But our God is worthy of it. He is 100% worthy. And humility promises humiliation, but God promises a lot more. See, it says, it continues, and it says, Because Jesus did this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as believers, when Jesus comes back, we will reign with him. To reign is to rule. We are co-heirs of his kingdom. That's where we will be. The kingdom that lasts forever, for eternity. Here it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't try and build yourself up here, here on this earth, where everything, everything, everything will perish. See, we can spend our whole lives building ourselves up, doing everything we can to make sure our reputation is good, um, our place in society is good, to make sure we're, 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 we're rich and successful. We can do all of that for ourselves. When we die, we cannot take that anywhere. But God says, obey me, live in humility, and I will give you a crown that will never perish. I'll put you in a place forever. That's where you will be. We will reign with Christ. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, first we need to spend every day worshiping God. We need to be going to his, to his scripture and finding him there and letting him, him tell us who he is. God, open our eyes that we would see your glory. Open our eyes, God, that we would see you like Isaiah did where he fell to the ground and said, I'm unworthy. I'm unholy amongst a, a people who are unholy. As I stand in your sight, I'm filthy, God. And you are perfect. Worship him. Worship him in, 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 in prayer and in scripture. If, you don't, if you're not feeling it, go back time and time again. Ask him to change your heart that you would see who he is. Ask him to change you that you would say, oh, this is someone worthy of my praise. Of course I'm going to worship him. Worship him with song. Sing to him. 
kneel before him. I don't know about you, but every time I kneel before God, every time I worship and I kneel before God, there are times, there are times where I don't feel like worshiping him. Where even as I start, I'm just kind of like going through the motions. And I kneel. And something about being on your knees clears out your perspective. So if you're not feeling, if you're not feeling and, and, you're, and you're not seeing God, maybe try doing that. But cooperate with God as well. Respond to his glory by serving him. Often as we obey God, his truth becomes more true to us. His truth becomes real to us. So do all these things, but serve. God is worthy of our service. And loving him and serving him means we sacrifice ourselves. That we deny ourselves. But we'll deny ourselves here. And have blessings on blessings on blessings when we enter his kingdom. God says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Let's do this for the glory of God because he is worthy of our praise. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example, that you, who is God, who was there from the very beginning, that you humbled yourself. You didn't do anything for your own benefit, but for the glory of your Father. And you call us to do the same thing, to live not selfishly, but for you. And in humility, serve others and serve you. God, the, the gospel that we share will be made so much more powerful if we obey you in this way. If we can put aside our pride to be united for your purposes. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to this, but you also empower us. Help us to see you, God, the one who is worthy. Help us to look to you and change our perspective, Lord, that we would see you and say, God, of course, we will worship you. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you send your spirit and that Holy Spirit, you will empower us and enable us to live in this kind of humility that is not natural to us. Thank you, God, that you will empower us and lead us out as we obey you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.